Hello there. You're about to listen to an episode of Food and Health Talk, Legacy Food and Health Talks. You know, in 2023, Food and Health Talks rebranded and relaunched as change makers. But all the episode we've recorded up to this point is still available for you to listen. And you're just about to listen to one of them. Enjoy it. And don't forget, Food and Health Talks is now Changemaker Podcast. Thank you. Welcome to a new episode of the Food and Health Talks podcast, a show focused on educating and empowering people to create a healthier future through nutrition and wellness education. A show where you will find interviews with leading scientists making groundbreaking discoveries, innovators, and global food industry leaders. It is that show you do not want to miss with your host, Dr. Julia Oleanju. everyone and welcome to this episode of Food and Health Talks. On this episode we'll be discussing the impact of nutrition on reproductive health, especially for women. If you've ever wondered how your diet affects your reproductive health at different life stages, then uh, you have someone you really really want to pay attention to today because uh, she is an expert. She's an expert in everything women, women reproductive health. So Dr. Betsy Greenleaf, who is our special guest today, is a gynecologist. She's the first female in the United States to become board certified in urogynecology. She's a distinguished fellow of the American College of Osteopathic Obstetrics and Gynecology. She's also a board examiner for the American Osteopathic Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Glad to have you on this episode. So to get started, I want to give our audience uh, a sense of uh, who you are. Why did you choose to go into healthcare? Talk, tell us a little bit about your career journey. Yeah, so it's really interesting. I definitely, gynecology was not the thing that I was like, oh, I want to do. So <laughs> I actually started off with, I knew I just really wanted to help people and I wasn't quite sure. I was the one person who went into medical school going, I don't really know how I want to help people. I just want to help people. And so as I went through my rotations, I kind of like would rank them. And I actually started out in general surgery. That was my first residency. And I got halfway through that. And I realized that though the general surgeons, I don't, I don't put them down. I just don't have the personality for it. They were to be a general surgeon. You had to be really, really good at being like a body mechanic. So there wasn't a lot of feeling and emotion and exchanges, you know, it was basically like, let's get out your appendix and have a nice life. And I was a person going around on my rotations, like after somebody had their appendix out, like, so how do you feel now that your appendix out is out? How are you doing? Okay. You know, I wanted more of that patient relationship. So I kind of found myself drawn to women's wellness. And, um, and then, so the next step was gynecology and then urogynecology, which is a study of more of like the whole pelvic floor and all the pelvic organs. Um, so I kind of, it just kind of fell into it. It just kind of happened and it definitely was what I was meant to do. So. Great. Thanks for sharing that. You know, I was just wondering, was there any particular experience you had growing up that prompted you to think medicine is a career for me? That's the path I would like to take. Or was it just uh, role models in your life that uh, 
prompted you in that direction? What exactly planted the desire for medicine or career in healthcare in your heart? You know, it's funny because I, you know, I definitely knew I wanted to help people and I didn't know, like nowadays, I know that there's so many different fields I could have gone into back, you know, back then, all I understood was like, you're either a fireman or a policeman or a doctor. Like I didn't know all the other professions that are out there. And so I went into traditional medicine, but I have to say over the years, I've become very kind of disappointed in traditional medicine because the way the American medical uh, system is, it's very triage based. It's basically, you have a symptom, let's give you a pill. You have a symptom, let's do this procedure. And you know, kind of between my own health journey and just kind of opening my eyes to, I didn't wanna be the person that was just throwing pills at people or doing surgeries just to cover up or, or fix a symptom. I started going, you know, let's get to the root problem. And that's where I found the connection with food. I mean, I'm amazed that Hippocrates, and I, I bring this up all the time, Hippocrates in 440 BC said, like, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And I think the traditional medicine community has gotten away from that. When I would claim that the majority of disease states that we experience all have root in food and gut health. And it's just been kind of an amazing journey, finding that connection, seeing that connection, and now hooking up with other practitioners that are able to make that connection. So it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm constantly learning, constantly learning. It's, it's so exciting. That's great. Okay, so um, let's say just a, a quick question on the old concept of urogynecology. Um, I know you mentioned it a bit in your first um, response or response earlier, but I just want to get a, a, a broader scope, a broader understanding of the old concept of urogynecology. Do you mind explaining a bit more in layman terms what it means, sure. what you do, and um, how people um, um, explore your services? Sure. Urogynecology is really interesting because it's a specialized specialty. And I remember when I first came home and told my mother that I was going into urogynecology, she thought it was like European, <laughs> like fancy, but really uro meaning, meaning urology having to do with the bladder and urinary tract and gynecology having to do with the female uh, reproductive tract. So it kind of merges both fields of all the organs in the pelvis having to do with um, conditions like incontinence, so leaking of urine. Uh, for women, it can be prolapse where things like the bladder and rectum and vagina can actually droop and drop as we age often due to uh, pregnancy and childbirth. And so it really combines both like the traditional gynecology, um, you know, dealing with a lot of like recurrent bladder infections and recurrent vaginal infections and pelvic pain and incontinence and prolapse. So it kind of combines and merges both of those specialties together. And for somebody, there's only fit, like about 1500 urogynecologists in the country. And really, I mean, 50% of women will experience some sort of urogynecology problem at some point in their lives. So that's a lot of people having these issues and not that many type, not that many doctors are out there that are really trained in how to do this. Um, and you come about this in one of two ways, either you do a training in traditional gynecology and then a fellowship in urogyne, 
or you do urology, which we think of as the urinary tract system, and then come do a fellowship in urogyne. So that's how urogynecologists kind of come to exist. That's cool. That's uh, that's really, really uh, interesting. So um, going uh, deeper into the whole concept of reproductive health, is there anything people can do to optimize um, their reproductive health? Or is it something that's already predetermined? Uh, it's, it's, this is the way it's going to work. Uh, um, is there anything people can do? Yeah, there's, there's ton. And going back to the food, there's really, we talk all the time about the gut brain axis when actually in reality, there is a brain gut vagina axis, like I, I like to call it. And, you know, going back in time with food, there's so much that with, from a reproductive standpoint, that's tied to what we eat. For example, in people that are younger, and it could be any age group, if you have or suffer from recurrent vaginal infections, yeast, bacteria, that all stems from gut health. So if we're eating a diet that's high in sugar, high in carbohydrates like breads and, and gluten or um, high in dairy, we can actually change the bacteria in our gut. And as women, the rectum, vagina, and urethra, the tube we piece through is so close together that if that microbiome, which is the basically the bacteria that makes up an area of the body, so the gut microbiome is off, that can throw off the vaginal microbiome and the, and the bladder too. So we often see women who get recurrent yeast infections um, in traditional medicine, they get f medicine thrown at them constantly and they don't get better because nobody's addressing their gut health and that they may, their intestines may be filled with, with, um, with yeast. Now you connect, I can go on forever with this, but you connect yeast with other general wellness. And then if you have yeast in your gut, it will actually trigger food cravings. So people that find themselves having food cravings for sugars and breads may actually be feeding the yeast and it goes hand in hand. Then on top of it, say, you know, you're in your earlier reproductive years and you have irregularities with your period, or you're trying to get pregnant and having infertility issues that can also be related to combination, the gut microbiome being off and the vaginal microbiome. So they're finding that if the bacteria in the vagina is off, that there's this feedback loop back to the brain that tells the brain, hey, this is not an ideal time to reproduce. And therefore it will affect the hormones uh, that affect menstruation and the hormones that affect fertility. So women may show, I mean, I always say it's like the vagina screaming for help and there's a larger problem going on in the body, but it's because that it can be the gut microbiome is off, which is throwing off the vaginal microbiome and vice versa. And then that's feeding back to the brain saying, Hey, it's not time it's not an ideal time to reproduce. So this can all, it can all be intertwined and related. Um, we, we also, it's actually very interesting. We're finding out that this is the same process that happens with sex drive. You know, a lot of women are like, they, they complain of issues with like decreased libido and sex drive. And it, a lot of times it gets blamed on hormones, and especially women that are perimenopausal and menopausal. It always, it always gets blamed on hormones. So these women go on hormones and they don't get better. The problem is because the vaginal microbiome is now shifted and we, they lose a lot of the healthy bacteria. 
And once again, the brain doesn't know the difference between, you know, wanting to reproduce or just wanting to have fun with sex. And so the brain sensing like, okay, we want to reproduce and it's not, I, you know, the body's not in an ideal situation to reproduce. So we're going to dampen the sex drive until things are more in balance. So it's amazing. This whole connection between gut health, brain health, vaginal health. Um, and then to throw on top of that gut health in general, affecting well-being is that we know that 90% of our serotonin, which is our happy hormone is made in our gut. So if our gut is off, a lot of times people will suffer from depression and anxiety. And because we don't have enough of that happy hormone um, and people with chronic pain, your, your, um, your GABA, which is one of your precursors to dopamine and some of your other hormones of well-being are also made in your gut. So people with chronic pain sometimes will have a source in their gut because they're not making enough of those, those happy, healthy hormones. So it all kind of ties in, in, in interconnects. This is, it's really, really interesting. I mean, when you say food is important to overall well-being, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about how deeply connected everything is now from what you eat to how it affects your gut microbiome to how it affects your reproductive health all together and they've been coming together so i want us to break it down a bit more so for instance um let's let's start from puberty people going through the, the young face um, that you're reaching puberty and those early stages in reproductive health and how much what you eat how you eat interact with your body your physiological well-being to um to impact impact things either positively or negatively because sometimes people are doing things they really do not realize that oh this is not going to help me whether it's a short term or long term this is going to have a negative impact at some point so there is that ambiguity there so helping people to clarify that no every single day your food choices do matter because this is how so when you think about that state, the body's going through a lot of changes, of course, surge in hormones, different hormones in the body. And that might even lead to different uh, food cravings. Uh, some may be beneficial, some may not be. Most of the time when people crave something, it's, it's typically not something beneficial. But anyway, I just will allow you to dive a little bit deep into that phase of life, that stage of life where people are just, um, it most like a teenage years, where you're just reaching puberty, body is going through a lot of changes and, um, and some cravings that go with it. How do, what do you, what, what are your thoughts on what's going on in the body and how well to handle it? You know, I start thinking about during those time periods, we're getting a big surge naturally of the sex hormones because the body is kind of all of a sudden waking up and you combine that with poor eating habits as a child, because this stuff starts as a child. And, and we know that this poor, these poor eating habits, especially processed foods, causes inflammation in the whole body. Um, and then there's certain things that you, we do that are very innocent. We don't realize the effect, like drinking from plastic bottles. And we know that the plastics contain hormones that are that the body 
or chemicals that the body perceives as hormones, even like it tricks the estrogen receptors to think that it's really estrogen. So we tend to not only get the normal rise in puberty of these hormones, but then you add the inflammation that happens in the body along with some of these, what are called xeno outside of the body hormones from plastics or even from foods that we think are healthy, like vegetables and fruit that are not organic. We have the fertilizers on these foods. We have the insecticides all tricking the body to think that they're actually hormones when they're not. So we tend to see in these, this, this pubescent area, not only the normal hormones, but then you're basically tricking the body to to react to more hormones. And we tend to see problems with acne worse than if they weren't on eating these foods. Um, We see irregularity in their, their menstrual periods and much higher rates than we've ever seen before of something called polycystic ovarian syndrome, where the, where the body makes extra cysts on the ovaries, which we would normally do every month when we menstruate, but it's responding to these higher levels of hormones and even something called endometriosis where the lining of the uterus, instead of being shed off as part of your period every month, it actually kind of backflows into the body and starts growing on organs. And these are all responsive to hormones and what the body is perceiving as hormones coming from environmental toxins and our diet. So it really, um, it really affects kids as, as, you know, as young as prepubescent. And in fact, actually, they do notice that children that are brought up eating processed foods and um, non-organic foods tend to go through their periods at much earlier rates than kids that are eating organic and are not exposed to these toxins. Um, so, you know, we're start, starting to see so many like higher levels of these conditions. And it, it's something that it's just based on education. I mean, it's educating us as individuals to what these effects of things in our, in our environment, in our, in our food sources, and also educating the health community um, to really help patients. So that's really yeah. interesting. And, you know, uh, I love the perspective you came up with in terms of um, breaking it down into how it plays out, um, it, what people care about, but everybody wants, you don't want acne. A lot of people spend a lot of money on products that they can use to treat acne, whereas it could make some lifestyle changes that could help you um, go through that phase um, in, in, in a uh, seamless way. So yeah, I'll just uh, move on to talk a little bit about the next stage when people are having children and you are nursing and your body is also going through a lot of changes, but this is even different. I mean, pregnancy takes a, t- a lot of toll mm-hmm. on the body. And then you're nothing. It's pretty much someone has you 24 seven on demand producing something to feed them. So it's pre- a lot of people don't think much about it because something that's happened all for generations, it's like, that's what women do. But when you start thinking about how can I optimize my health? How can I take care of me? You know, what are things that um, people can do? Number one, what's going on in the body uh, during that uh, phase? How does food, uh, the diet, the food we eat? Though I think a lot of people in that stage do not really pay much attention to what they're eating because it's just a very busy, crazy time. But how important is diet during that busy phase? Uh, and how can people optimize their health regardless of what's going on around them in that phase? 
Sure. I mean, once again, we know that processed foods, sugar, dairy, gluten tend to be the highest inflammation on the body. And so the, the body doesn't know the difference between a stressor, like you're running, like in cave people times, we're running away from like a saber toothed tiger and the stress of inflammation on the body. So what happens, like I think back on when I was my first pregnancy and I had such difficulty breastfeeding, not realizing at that time, it was because there was a lot of stress on my body. I wasn't eating healthy. I wasn't sleeping well. And so when your body's under stress, you kick in what's called the sympathetic nervous system and that's your fight or flight system. And so during that time, all your energy in your body is put towards potentially running away from whatever that stressor was. Like in cave people time, it was, it was a saber tooth tiger. In modern times, we don't, our body doesn't know the difference. So all your energy is taken away from reproductive processes and breastfeeding. So sometimes if a woman is having problems breastfeeding, it may not, you know, a lot of times we tend to get very hard on ourselves. I was, I was like, I'm a failure. I can't do one simple thing that every woman on the planet can do after having a baby. And that was adding to the stress. And really it came down to, it was probably the inflammation and the stress that I was putting on my body from my poor diet and not all this stuff. Because when we're in a parasympathetic state, that's that more relaxed state, our body can do things like make hormones, make breast milk, have, you know, be fertile, be, you know, heal. Um, that helps also your gut health. It helps the gut heal and, and supports the gut microbiome. So all these are, are interconnected from that standpoint. So, and we realize, you know, there are certain things that can be passed through the breast milk. So that's another, another thing to, to make sure that we're eating healthy, um, and staying away from things that are toxic. You know, there's a group called the Environmental Working Group, and it's like it's ewg.org. And they have a list of, they call it the dirty dozen, because I understand like eating organic is not cheap. You know, there, it can be very expensive, but if you had to pick 12 foods to stay away from the dirty doesn't tell you stay away from like strawberries. I was surprised is like probably one of the number one toxic foods because of not that strawberries are bad, but it's the type of insecticides and, and uh, fertilizers that are used to produce regular strawberries as a port to organic. Um, I, a good friend of mine, Dr. Terry Walls, who wrote the Walls Protocol, she says that if she can get people living in, in her community that are living on food stamps and get them to eat healthy, then anybody can do it. And one of her biggest, I think a great recommendation is during the summer times with farmers markets, you know, those farmers, they don't want to have to like haul back any leftover food at the end of the day. So if you go up to the farmers and be like, Hey, how much for whatever you have left, that's a great way to get some like fresh fruits and vegetables that are really healthy for you. That's so. really interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought of strawberry really. Um, so now I'm, I'm thinking I have to pay attention to that because I, I never, never thought about that. Thanks for sharing. So um, one thing that keeps coming up in your conversation, in your responses is gut health, gut health, you know, and honestly, a lot of times you really don't think about that connection. You think about, um, gut health and immunity you think about a lot of other things but it seems to be really connected to reproductive health 
uh, do you yes. mind sharing a little bit more about this connection and, and how it really, really works out? Yeah, so basically it really comes down to that if we're eating foods that are causing inflammation in our gut, that, you know, we were saying that that can affect the body in a couple of different ways. It can, if it can increase your risk of depression and risk, your risk of anxiety, which that in turn will trigger your sympathetic nervous system, which then will dampen your hormone production. So it's from, there's from that standpoint, um, like you said, immunity, 85% of our immune system is made in our gut. So if we are, if our gut is unhealthy, that's going to put us at higher risk from a pelvic standpoint of getting recurrent urinary tract infections, recurrent vaginal infections. And as women, because of the rectum, vagina, and urethra so close together, it doesn't matter how well you clean. It's naturally, there's going to be a passing back and forth of bacteria from, from those areas. So if our gut is unhealthy and we have higher levels of what they call dysbiotic, meaning bad bacteria, we have higher levels of bad bacteria in our intestines, that's more likely to get in the vagina, affect the reproductive tracts from anywhere from infections to inflammation, affecting fertility. And like we said, connecting it to um, even sex drive. And so it's just, it really is amazing how the body is so connected. And in some people, their first, their body's first cry for help is to develop pelvic symptoms. So as a health community, we can't ignore these pelvic health symptoms and be like, oh, you know, so many women and even healthcare workers are like, oh, that's just what it's like to be a woman, mm-hmm. or that's a normal part of aging, or, you know, grin and bear it when that's, you know, that's your body going, Hey, there's a larger problem. Let's pay attention and let's get down to really what the the core problem is. And for many conditions, it's gut health. Now, here's another thing. We talk about cardiac health all the time. People are being put on cholesterol medicine. Cholesterol is not the problem. We cholesterol is the parent hormone. We need cholesterol to make our sex hormones, to make estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. And if we lower cholesterol, then we can't make those sex hormones. Here, the problem is it's not cholesterol that's the problem, it's inflammation. And if we can get the inflammation down in our body, then cholesterol is going to do its job and go where it's supposed to be. When we have high levels of inflammation in our body, that cholesterol becomes sticky. And that's when you have the problems with plaques and heart disease. So um, I'm really more into like, let's get the inflammation down in the body, then like, then let's be going on, you know, cholesterol meds. But that's not to say, like, if you're on cholesterol medicines, don't stop it. Check it. We'll check your with doctor. your your doctors first. <laughs> yes. But I just want you to think about, you know, think about it from that standpoint. Right. So. It's, it's really crucial. Think about it from the holistic point of view. What's really going on here, and um, and also a very important point that you made that whatever you want to do, whatever changes you want to make, whether it's your diet or to uh, lifestyle changes, check with the doctor first. And one of the reasons why we say this most of the time is because. Um, this is a very general conversation. Your doctor has specific yeah. information about you, about what's going on in your body, about the medication you are on, about how food that you might want to start taking now might interact with those medication about active compounds in those medication to affect you. So speaking with a physician about any changes you want to make is very, very crucial. So um, 
you talked briefly to well, in your last response about um, aging. So I think I, I want to just ask a question about people in the menopausal stage, like what can they do? Or I mean, in terms of managing all the changes, the flashes, the everything that's going on there, um, what can they do in terms of dietary changes or dietary recommendations that they can um, think of or discuss with the healthcare professional uh, that could help them better manage that phase, you know, that stage of life? Sure. I mean, there are tons of different products and foods and a lot of people go on hormones at that, that time period, which is fine. Especially if we're on the right hormones, you know, some hormones have kind of gotten the bad rap, but it's really the synthetic hormones that are issues because synthetic hormones break down into, they have toxic metabolites, but there are what's called bioidentical hormones and bioidentical hormones. People, a lot of times think of like, it has to be compounded in a compounding pharmacy. They're actually bioidentical hormones that are on the market um, prescription wise. And bioidentical, I like to use the word bioequivalent, meaning they're very similar to what the body naturally produces. But from a food standpoint, there are a lot of things that can actually even help those. For example, like your cruciferous vegetables, specifically broccoli is very high in these, um, these things like um, dim, um, which you can even take dim as a supplement, um, dim and the, the sulfur, sulfurines um, that sulfur actually, yeah, 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 that actually help the body process hormones in a healthy way so you don't get those toxic metabolites. And, and interesting enough, I found out not too long ago that if, when you cook broccoli, you actually get rid of that process. And it's actually those chemicals are released from raw broccoli during the cutting or chewing and mechanical chewing process. Mm -hmm. So um, soy has a mixed soy. Like a lot of people think about taking soy because it has the natural... Um, it, like estrogens in it. Soy's got a kind of like a mixed review with it. Some of the problems with soy products are that the way the soy is grown with with the um both the fertilizers and um and, and insecticides. So I tend to stay away from soy because soy can be inflammatory, but um if you really choosing like good soy products that can help with some of the hot flashes and it almost be used as a natural type of estrogen. Um, it's also really important during this time that we forget that as the estrogen is decreasing, what happens to the vagina during this time is absolutely fascinating is when you're young and you have your hormones, the vaginal mucosa or the, the skin inside the tissue is very thick. And when it's thick, it's constantly making new cells, constantly making new cells, the old cells slough off and they contain something called glycogen. Glycogen is the food source for lactobacillus, which is our healthy bacterium. And lactobacillus fights off the bad bacteria and the yeast by producing peroxide. What happens to women in perimenopausal and menopausal women during this time is because of a lack of estrogen, the vaginal tissue gets very, very thin, only a couple like cell layers thick, and it's not growing and sloughing off in its fast manner like it was when we were younger. So the lactobacillus, the healthy bacteria basically starves to death. 
and we lose it from the vagina. And that's why women in their perimenopausal state or menopausal are much higher risk of getting uh, problems with recurrent vaginal infections, recurrent urinary tract infections, low sex drive, all related to a change in the microbiome of the vagina. And there's a whole range of things that people can do from using topical hormones in the vagina all the way to, I find it super fascinating and I love it using laser. With laser is basically a biohacking type of procedure where we use light energy to penetrate the tissue and it causes a microscopic injury. And as the body is trying to heal, it actually floods the tissue with all these growth factors and you can return the vagina back to its normal healthy state without using any hormones, which is fascinating. And now the lactobacillus has its food source and everything goes back into a balance. And so it's, it's absolutely amazing. That's but you got to combine that with healthy diet because right. if your gut is off... <laughs> It's yeah. not going it's it's to help. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> you know, a lot of people talk about like fermented, well, I think fermented foods are absolutely amazing. Fermented foods will help with your gut, will help with your reproductive health, will help with vaginal health. But some people will take probiotics and probiotics are, I love probiotics, but you have to watch some probiotics, uh, like one called lactobacillus casei. That one in particular, in some people can actually trigger histamine release. And histamine is kind of like when you get a mosquito bite and you get the little redness and that bump, that's because histamine is, is being released and is trying to protect your body from that mosquito bite. But when certain people have histamine sensitivity, especially in their food, they, it, they can develop inflammation in their body. So if you're taking a probiotic and you're actually getting worse, it may be the types of bacteria in your probiotic. You may want to kind of switch that and look up like probiotics that don't release histamine. Mm -hmm. So, and that's not everybody, just some people are very sensitive to that. Yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. And it's good to know too. So um, one of the things that I, I want to ask you about is about high rich food, food that really dense and high on, of course, because women have a lot of mm. uh, physiological processes that uh, leads to blood loss and just a lot of changes going on in the body and, um, changes occurring at regular intervals as well. So what, what, what do you think about high rich food, high on supplements, how important are this for women? Yeah, iron, especially for menstruating women, because of the bleeding every month, we tend to naturally, our iron tends to go down. Also in pregnancy, that tends to be a very low iron state. So yeah, foods, this is why it's funny. I've known so many patients, patients and friends of mine that were vegan and then got pregnant and like out of nowhere had cravings for meat. And so, um, I think it's because a lot of times, especially, especially red meats tend to be very high in iron. Um, so, but you can get that from some of your other foods. I mean, like your spinach and your, your cruciferous vegetables, you can get it from there, but it is important, especially like during the actual menstruation period time, they, that is a good time to be increasing foods that are high in iron because we're going to naturally deplete, deplete out of that. So, so there can be women that are very anemic um, because of heavy periods or, or problems with the periods. 
it tends to reverse when you go through menopause because you're not getting that bleeding every month. So that's an interesting thing that happens. So if you are somebody that's suffering from that, first of all, try to like increase uh, your levels. Though I know that the, one of the problems is sometimes taking iron supplements can be very constipating to people. Um, and an interesting fact about constipation is when the stool is sitting for a very long time in the, the lower intestines, we actually get reabsorption of estrogen that has been processed like through the gut, it gets reabsorbed. So in, in women that suffer from constipation, they tend to have higher estrogen levels, which is not necessarily a good thing if you know, that can lead in, in some people can lead to polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, or even potentially increased risk of certain reproductive cancers. So trying to stay as regular, and that's one of the things Americans, we don't eat enough fiber in our diet. I mean, it's just a basic fact. We just don't eat enough fiber and 85% of us are chronically dehydrated. So you combine like not getting enough fiber and not getting enough fluids. And that's just going to back us all up. And we don't realize that that actually can affect our hormone production too. So yeah, and, and, and the very important point there, you know, in terms of thinking about the side effects of some of these uh, supplements as well, um, if, if you can get it through nutrition, it's, it's kind of like a better way to go. Um, mm, yeah, much better. Than, than um, having to do with all that. Thank you so much for sharing. That's a lot of uh, uh, rich and valuable content packed into uh, this conversation. So if someone is listening right now and you want to advise them, um, in terms of how they can optimize their overall reproductive health by paying attention to what they eat, or, uh, what would you tell them? I would tell them, first of all, get rid of your new diet. And it's not always easy. Like, hey, every once in a while, I like to eat things that are, quote, not great for you. But if you can eat healthy 80% of the time, then you're winning. Like, because what happens if we restrict we actually subconsciously create this reward system in our mind that when we eat the quote bad foods, the foods we've laid bad, we actually get a, a burst of dopamine. So first of all, don't label foods good or bad. Um, even though I tend to say that it, it, you really shouldn't eat healthy 80% of the time, enjoy your life 20% of the time. Um, and then if you ha have to, you know, if you want an easy way to cut things out, get rid of things that are processed get rid of things that are um, high in gluten, which are your, your breads. And there's so many options of gluten-free things nowadays. Sugar, sugar is actually probably the number one thing to cut out of the diet and dairy. So those four things, and then go for more whole foods, like your fruits, your vegetables, you know, things that would, you'd find in nature, you know, twink, I always tell people Twinkies don't grow on trees. You're not going <laughs> to find a Twinkie in nature. There's no Twinkie tree. So, you know, things that you would naturally you know, find in nature, those are the things our bodies were meant to eat and fermented foods. We just don't get enough fermented foods you know, your kimchi, there's so many options nowadays too. Kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha, um, even though yogurt is dairy, I actually support the use of yogurt. So as long as you can tolerate you know, the dairy and the yogurt. So, Absolutely. yeah. So if anyone wants to connect with you, how can they connect with you? 
yeah, well, first, as well. yeah. <laughs> yeah. First of all, follow me on social media. I'm in a couple different, if you look, just look up Dr. Betsy Greenleaf, you'll find me. There's a couple different, um, different variations of that. As long as I don't get kicked off of Instagram again, <laughs> so, <laughs> apparently vagina is not politically correct to say in social media. So, um, um there or um we have the pelvic floor store is one of my stores there's drbetsygreenleaf.com or my clinic is greenleafbewell.com and i'm very excited to announce that coming up in february we're going to be hosting a three-day free summit on for perimenopausal and menopausal pelvic health called the happy vagina rally and it's not just for perimenopausal women we're just going to focus on that health but um it women younger want to know what what to expect in the future come to it men i'm finding men really are coming to find out more about vaginal health because they want to know and nobody's talking to them so i invite you to come too if you want to know more about that that's great that's absolutely great Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and just making time to connect with our audience today. And for everyone listening, thank you for joining us for this episode of Food and Health Talks. Until next time, we will bring an exceptional guest your way. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'd like to share a very important tool that makes it very easy for me to prepare this podcast every single episode with you. And that tool is a platform called Anchor. Anchor is a platform created by Spotify, which makes it very easy to record, edit, merge, insert music into your audio, and just prepare everything you need for each of your episodes. It also makes it easy for you to work with your team as well. They could prepare the files for you and you upload easily or they upload for you. Whatever you want to do with preparing for and broadcasting your podcast, Anchor makes it easy. So check it out. It's free to create your account. And I also want to add this as a sponsored segment. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for another session of Food and Health Talks. We invite you to subscribe to this channel, share this with your friends and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a review for us. Together, we are joining hands to shape a healthier future of food.